Captain's log. The Enterprise has intercepted a bizarre transmission coming from a nearby Class M planet. The transmission appears to originate every month, presenting strange comical sketches, recreating history, and it seems to come from some strange being, a vocal metamorph known only as Richard A. Usher. An away team has been down to investigate. Pick out a landing party. Lieutenant Expendable, have you located the source of the transmission? Affirmative, Captain. It seems to be guarded by an alien high priest. Let me speak to him. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the... <laughs> I am Gorgo of the Planet Podcast. High priests to the audio comedy held within the sacred speakers. Lieutenant, any sign of this vocal metamorph responsible? Negative, Captain. The transmitter has a strange barrier around it. Uh, I guess a kind of cordon. I'll, I'll just scan it. The Colton's alive! <laughs> the Richard Usher Podcast. Assorted audio antics from Larynx Productions. Written and presented by Richard Usher. One hundred and twenty-seven. At the time of recording this edition of the Richard Usher podcast, that's approximately how many shopping days there are left until Christmas. So, if you're behind on your listening, Costa may already have Jonah Louie and Slade lined up on the in-store music system. Oh, and uh, mine's a pumpkin spice latte, please. But fear not, dear listener. You can turn your mind to other things in this August edition of the podcast that recreates moments in history and offers a quirky view of this wall-eyed world around us. Hello, by the way. Yes, August 2016 has meant different things to different people. For some, it's been a holiday in Greece. For others, it was soaking up the sporting fiesta of the Rio Olympics. For the Richard Usher podcast, it means traveller's checks, Alcatraz, and wheelie bins. Let's sound the starting gun for the show with the 1st of August, and back in 2013... A story on the BBC News website suggested that an Anglo-Saxon gravestone, dating from the time of Alfred the Great, would be up for auction in Dorset, and likely to attract interest from museums and private collectors. Come along, ladies and gentlemen. Grave markers like this very rarely come to the open market, so this is a very unique opportunity. Are we all done, ladies and gentlemen? Third and last call... So, to the gentleman in the England football shirt and unflattering red shorts for £6,600. Oh, cracking. I'm never this lucky on eBay. The wife will love this. That you, Bert? Yeah. Oh, dear. What the heck you got there? It's your birthday present, love. Happy birthday. What the heck do I want with that hideous thing? Hideous? It happens to be a 9th century grave marker from Danelaw country. You said you wanted a stone for your birthday, didn't you? No, you cloth old fool. I said I wouldn't have minded something by the stones. 
A fine lot from August 2013 there. Staying with 2013 and the BBC, the rumour mill was rife as Whovians everywhere waited with bated breath to see who would follow Matt Smith at the helm of the TARDIS to take on the lead role in Doctor Who. All was revealed in a special show hosted by Zoe Ball, but there were numerous contenders, according to the press. Well, Pop Idol did it first, and we've had Britain's Got Talent. Or, they've had us. And most recently, Blue Peter put their new talent to the vote. We're here at the top-secret Doctor Who auditions, talking to loads of hopefuls. Where have you travelled from today, love? One has travelled from one's home in Windsor. Think you got what the uh, Who team are looking for? Well, one has heard that they might favour a woman. And as our husband always points out, showbiz is full of old queens. So one thought one would give it a go. Good luck. Lovely pearls, by the way. Now, he's a likely candidate. Natty Sue with a baseball cap. What an eccentric touch. What do you think you'd bring to the part? Well, I did try for the part back in 1984 when Peter Davison stepped down. But uh, Maggie Thatcher vetoed the idea. So I thought I'd give it another try. I think the world is ready for a Tory doctor. <laughs> think you'd have more chances, Devros. <laughs> now then, fella, you must be warming that knitwear. Where have you travelled from today? Yes, Metabilis Three, but originally from Gallifrey in the constellation of Casterberus. So, what do you think you can offer to the part? How will you differ from the other doctors? Other doctors? Mind the dog if you don't want oil on your shoes. You're listening to the Richard Usher Podcast, or to use the proper title, Richard A. Usher, The Podcast. It's all the same to me, and shows a singular lack of imagination when it came to choosing a title. A little more thought probably went into naming the company that issued the first traveller's cheque. That was cashed in on the 5th of August, 1891. Oh, Herb, isn't it just adorable? London by night, so romantic. It sure is, Marge. A perfect second honeymoon. I feel so safe here. Everything's so quaint and everyone's so lovely. Right. Hand over your wallet and your jewels. Come on, come on. Oh, Herb. We better do as he says. Here. There's no money in this wallet. We don't have any cash. We're carrying these new traveler's checks. How many? Mm, about $200 worth. What type of traveler's checks? American Express. Oh, that'll do nicely. Now, there's one gentleman who lives his life for a decent bit of credit. Hopefully high on the bill of a decent cabaret club. Well, he can dream. He's the master of mirth, Ben Bernard. Blog off Ben Bernard. Life's a beach. Hey. Lovely day to be by the seaside. A gentle paddle and a wander on the sand before reclining in a comfy deck chair for an hour. Paradise. Well, 
It will be for a, another few minutes. It's the school holidays, you see, and there's precious little refuge for gents of a certain age and a certain temperament from the various folks who make the summertime an absolute chuffing nightmare. It all starts around seven in the morning. Kids are just screaming the little heads off in the house either side, or rampaging around in the garden, scaring the cat. Of course, Daddy is off work, isn't he? Does he want to entertain his little treasures at seven in the morning? Does he, Eck? So, the paddling pool is filled up, the kids are chucked into it, and Daddy gets back to the uh, Black and Decker workbench and starts on some DIY. All yours truly wants to do is suck me mug of tea, in peace and quiet, out on the patio. But no, the whole chuffing neighbourhood has become one giant early morning play park and carpentry workshop. My choices are now to sit inside with the doors and windows shut, having the immersive Rio experience by watching the Olympic highlights in nigh on 40 degree temperatures, or to take a stroll into town. Of course, once you're out in the wide world, you're accosted by hipster chuggers doing their best for friends of the earth by sticking coupons in your face and asking for your bank details. They've clearly done their bit by not shaving or using any toiletries and smoking their own weird backy. They stink to high heaven. Oh. You dodge the clipboard brigade and think you'll get a bit of peace and quiet in the coffee shop, but no. The yummy mummies have taken Tabitha and Tarquin out for an early morning flat white. The yummies catch up on all the summer gossip, while the little treasures tear around the place pretending they're in the Olympics. Once the discus event starts, it's very much time to leave. Uh, of course, the beach is out of bounds, if you want any semblance of self-confidence left. The youngsters that aren't modelling in Spain and Milan are out there on the sands playing volleyball and strutting up and down like God's gift. Any role. Cliff Carter came to our rescue when he came up with the perfect summer retreat. It's like a private club, only open to grumpy people of a certain age who want that beach lifestyle without the hassle, body consciousness and no disturbances from the family scourge. So he opens up this special beach down at the local quarry every weekday at lunchtime. Five quid for a deck chair, a mug of tea and a complimentary squirt of sub cream. The Quarry Beach. You could say it rocks. Hey up, time to go. Back to the world of dreams. Life's a Beach was written, performed, edited, and produced by Richard Usher. Blog Off Ben Bernard is a Larynx production. Join the Summer Spectacular at Idiots R Us. Prices slashed on most football transfers, not at Idiots R Us. We've put the prices sky high. Fun for all the family with the latest cuddly toys, including the always popular internet trolls. Try your hand at Olympic Pokemon and track down as many gay Olympians as you can find. The fun game for all those wannabe gutter journalists. And for the narrow of mind, there's Christopher Says. Play for reality TV infamy with outdated views and highly offensive comment. Get all this and more at Idiots Are Us this summer.
try to throw in the odd topical references for this podcast. Keep you on your toes. Now, back we go in time again to the 11th of August 1934 and the day that the Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary received its first prisoners. The 137 inaugural inmates arrived by railroad from Kansas and California and they were watched over by a staff of 155, including the very first warden, James A. Johnston. Oh my, oh my, they'll be here any minute. Doris, have you finished the vacuuming? I have, sir. And you've wiped down all the surfaces and polished the silver and mirrors? I have indeedy. Don't worry, sir. This place is spick and span. Doris, you're an angel. You'll pardon me being anxious and all. I, I want to make the right first impression to our, our first guests. Oh my, oh my, they're here already. Take it easy, Governor. You, you'll be fine. They'll love it here. I hope you're right, Doris. Well, here goes. Yes, uh, indeed. Good morning. Please bring everyone inside. Um, uh, we, ju- we just finished vacuuming, so uh, I'd appreciate it if you and the boys uh, could take off your shoes. Don't worry, we have plenty of slippers. You, uh, you want us to take our shoes off? Is this a wind-up? You are Governor Johnston. Of Alcatraz. For my sins, sir. For my sins. I beg your pardon, Governor. But you're not, um, you're not what I expected. Really? It's the tie, isn't it? Too much color? No, sir. It's uh, just that we were given to understand that the uh, governor of Alcatraz and his assistant were uh, men of iron. Oh, I am, sir. I am. Hundred shirts pressed and folded between us this very morning. That warden, he knew how to keep things spick and span. Certainly something that proved to be important in hospitals. On the 12th of August 1865, disinfectant was used during surgery for the very first time. The system became known as the Lister method, named after Joseph Lister the surgeon who conducted this groundbreaking surgery and introduced new levels of cleanliness during surgical procedures. Now, as you can see, gentlemen, uh, this operating theatre has been scrupulously cleaned by our expert team. The surgical dressings have been soaked with carbolic acid. And Mr. Grant and Mr. McGregor have both undertaken thorough hand-washing before assisting me. And these instruments have been sterilised. This, gentlemen, is the Lister method, named after my good self. you. <laughs> I do beg your pardon. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, if you'd all like to uh, cover your heads, uh, we can begin spraying carbolic. 
Um, McGregor, uh, where is the patient? Uh, they're bringing him in now, sir. <laughs> right, hold him down, Mr. Grant. I'm trying, sir. The operation can now proceed. Without any risk to the patient. Mm. Uh, that's a very clean amputation, sir. <sighs> Thank you, McGregor. Only thing is, sir, uh, the patient came in to have his tonsils removed. Oh, yes. Ha, ha. Such a predictable gag, McGregor. No, no, sir. Really? Ah. Uh, is the um, patient right or left-handed? Uh, right-handed, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now he won't be able to write and complain. Just a thought. But if thieves raided a hospital during surgery, would they have to wear surgical stocking masks? <clears throat> uh, moving on. Uh, we'll nip forward a bit now, almost 100 years to the 13th of August 1964, the anniversary of the last judicial hangings to take place in Britain. Two murderers, Peter Anthony Allen and his accomplice, Gwyn Owen Evans, were convicted for murder and were simultaneously hanged at Walton Jail in Liverpool and Strangeways in Manchester. Came to join me here live from Walton Prison in Liverpool as we witness preparations for what will be the historic 62nd. Officiating at this historic event is Mr. Albert Crostich, here tending to the last few essential finishing touches. Finishing touches? <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> How have you found the transition from racehorse trainer to state-appointed executioner, Mr. Crostich? Oh, it's not so different, to be honest with you. At the start of a race, I'd be checking the tack over, tending to the horse. Uh, they get so very nervous. The nearer you get to the big moment, a <laughs> bit like this fella. <laughs> Same approach, though. Gently pop the hood over the head so they can't see what's going on. What the eyes don't see, the hooves don't kick at. <laughs> and is there a last meal involved, too? Missus always makes me a lovely shepherd's pie. All sort of had oatmeal, goes without saying, and uh, I've taken the same approach with Alan here. <laughs> nice bit of grub, eh, Alan? Good lad, good lad. <laughs> steady, steady. Well, soon be ready for this historic event, the 62nd Judicial Execution here at Walton. The first back in 1887. It's a two-horse event. Convicted murderer Peter Anthony Allen going at 10 to 1 here in Liverpool. And over at Strangeways in Manchester, it's the accomplice Gwyn Owen Evans at 11 to 1. And now I'm told the team are ready in Manchester. And Mr. Albert Crostich and his front runner Peter Anthony Allen are ready to go. And they're off! Back to more recent history now, and on the 16th of August 2013, a BBC news story revealed the government's desire to have household bins out of sight and called for new housing developments in England to include sufficient space to store household bins out of the view of the public in the street. 
Today, the government announced a new proposal to ensure that new housing developments in England should include plenty of space to store wheelie bins out of view of the street. So, is this plan a load of rubbish? Or will it solve an issue that refuses to go away? With me to discuss this weighty topic is the equally weighty hopelessness secretary, Derek Branston. Hey, watch it, Harvey. Now, Derek, why do you want to get wheelie bins off the streets? They're a blight, Harvey. An obstruction for the partially sighted. Mothers with pushchairs, a blot on the landscape and the bane of my life. I can see how they're a problem for other pavement users, and they are quite hideous to look at, but how do they cause an issue for you personally? Because, Harvey, if I wander along a street cluttered with these eyesores, and I happen to get a, a whiff of a discarded kebab, or a cold bag of chips, oh, I can't resist. I, I'm like the bistol kid of the wheelie bin world. Look at this one. Can, can you believe that some people throw away cold pizza? Still box. Sometimes you even find the little pots of dips still sealed up. Ooh, I can't pass up on a pepperoni platter. It's playing havoc with me dietary habits. So you're telling me that you forage for leftovers? I am just flesh, Harvey. Well, there's no denying that. Perhaps you should extend the scheme to include removing unsightly ministers from our streets. Fitzpatrick. Uh, yeah, yeah. Can I help you with something? Well, uh, uh, you're the guy that ordered the, uh, the Queen Mary? Well, I'm, uh, I'm the representative of the town, certainly. Well, sir, uh, it's your name on the delivery note I have here, uh, so, uh, where do you want it? I beg your pardon? Where do you want it put? Well, uh, no, you see, uh, I, I was the, uh, the spokesman, not the actual, Well, uh, your name's on the docket, so this is where I leave it. Oh, oh. Oh dear, uh, <laughs> you, can't, you can't possibly leave the Queen Mary here, I mean, I mean, she's a, she's an ocean liner, <laughs> there, there, there isn't the room. That's not my problem, buddy, we can spread her out. Okay, guys, drop her. Dear Lord, what have you done? Look at my lord! There you go, sir. What? What's this? Buddy, that's your instruction sheet. The pieces, they're all marked. You do have a welding torch. A voyage back to the 18th of August 1967 there, when the townsfolk of Long Beach, California, bought the liner, the Queen Mary. Now, from Queen Mary to King Charles I. Back on the 22nd of August, 1642, the English Civil War broke out between the supporters of the King and the English Parliament. 
It all kicked off when Charles Stewart raised his standard at Nottingham. Until next time, keep your heads, folks. And you join us here in Nottingham for this momentous occasion as King Charles Stuart, our beloved monarch, pays a royal visit. It's a beautiful summer's day, the clear blue sky, a backcloth of perfection to a golden sun. All around me, the citizens of Nottingham, including the High Sheriff himself, are gathered in their finery to see their noble king as he rides towards them astride a great brown charger. The king's troops, bedecked in brightly coloured clothes, the lace and the broad-brimmed hats uh, lined with feathers, march gracefully, coming to a halt by a great water trough donated to the city of Nottingham by Alderman Brian Squelch, uh, just three years before his tragic death in a, a whorehouse. Uh, it is said that uh, it took the undertaker a week to get the smile off the late Alderman Squelch's face. I say, and this is a most unexpected arrival. The armed troops of the parliamentarian forces are galloping in on their uh, fattened charges, sticking their tongues out at the king uh, and his supporters. <coughs> well, a very undignified scene here in Nottingham, involving, of course, the nether regions of several highly trained horses. And that's worn the patience of the king, yes. Yes, he's leaning over from his saddle now. <laughs> yes, the, the king has picked up his standard from a fellow trooper, the great royal standard depicting lions, crowns, and what looks like a giant lobster. And yes, 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 the king is raising his standard. Yes, the, the king has raised his standard, but alas, his, uh, his trousers have fallen. What a terribly, terribly embarrassing scene here in Nottingham. And they're off. The first round of the English Civil War has begun here in Nottingham. You have been enduring the award-avoiding Richard Usher podcast. Written, performed, edited and produced by Richard Usher. Jazz comedy theme courtesy of bensound.com. The Richard Usher Podcast is a Larynx production.